0: Welcome once again to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dylan thomas and today we're going to talk about the availability heuristic. Um, And the basic idea here is that if something can be recalled, it must be important, right? If I can remember it, it must happen more often. That's kind of the way this one goes. So stories about child abductions. Even if child abductions weren't super common, people started to assume they were, you know, going back to the 60s. And you can even see how people... So the sort of range that where children were kind of allowed to play, you know, freely gets shrinks and shrinks and shrinks over those decades, not necessarily because there were more and more child abductions, but because the stories became more prevalent. Um, another example would be um, if I were to ask you, what do you think is more common, suicide or homicide? Um, most people would say homicide, but in fact, suicide. You know, is way more common. Usually, twice as common. Homicide rates fluctuate, but suicide rates stay roughly the same. And at, at least they are twice as common. But there are not as many news stories about suicides. There's not as many movies and television shows about suicides. And so we just kind of assume because it's more easy to think of examples of murder, right? Either fictional or real life. We assume that that's the more common thing. And a lot of this ground we covered a little bit in. Um, The neglect of probability episode, and this is kind of one of the root causes of neglect of probability, is this availability heuristic that it's just easier for me to remember something, whether it's actually more common or not. Um, So another example would be, um, like, do you think in America it's more likely that you'll be killed by a terrorist or by a police officer, or killed by a shark or a vending machine? Or do you think that most um, terrorist attacks are carried out by Muslims or non-Muslims? And I, uh, I did an article, a Medium article, about this and ended up looking up a bunch of these statistics. And, you know, as it turns out, um, the, uh, odds of an American being killed by a terrorist in their lifetime is about one in 45,000. The odds of that same American being killed by a police officer is one in 8,000. <laughs> okay. Your odds of being killed by a shark are one in 250 million. Your odds of being killed by a falling vending machine are one in 112 million. Uh, so you should be way more afraid of cops and vending machines than, uh, terrorists and sharks, but you know, you're probably not because it's much easier to think of news stories or movies, uh, about one versus the other. Um, and as far as, like, uh, terrorist attacks, so like Muslims carrying out terrorist attacks versus non-Muslims. So I want to read these out because these are really interesting stats. So from 1980 to 2005, 94% of terrorist attacks in the U.S. were carried out by non-Muslims. It means it's nine times more likely that a non-Muslim carried out that attack. And if you look at the 89 attacks carried out between 2011 and 2015— only 11 of those 89 attacks were carried out by Muslims while 18 were directed at Muslims so a muslim is way more likely to be the target of a terrorist attack than the instigator of a terrorist attack now i go into a lot of detail on that one because the availability heuristic says okay the thing i can remember more easily right is the thing i'm going to assume is more common and here's the thing about those attacks right the Muslim-instigated attacks versus the non-Muslim-instigated attacks. The Muslim-instigated attacks received 449% more coverage, meaning they were way easy, insanely easy, uh, easier to remember than the ones instigated by non-Muslims. So um, this is the power, right, of the availability heuristic and sort of public perception. Um, so that comes from an article I made, um, uh, called, uh, why we need normal news with this sort of idea that we need to sort of have as in, in, the, the examples of, you know, what is actually normal needs to be as available to us as what's not normal or more available to us. We need more coverage, right, of just the normal things that most Muslims are not in fact terrorists. So we need a lot of news stories about that, of just Muslims doing normal things. Um, uh, Ansari has a great bit about this from his, um, uh, SNL monologue, you should look up sometime anyway. Um, so this can sometimes be a good thing, right? So a lot of the coverage around, you know, ever since the Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein, um, sexual assault scandals started to come out, we started to see lots and lots and lots of stories about male abusers and males abusing their power, um, and in terms of sexual assault and sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior. And it's becoming part of that availability heuristic to just sort of assume this is a common thing. And that's good because it actually is kind of a common thing or way more common than we used to think of it as. And so sometimes that can actually work to, you know, the advantage of social justice to sort of bring something to the fore to realize, look, this is actually way more common than you think it is. That was what the Me Too campaign was all about was making it work, making the available, available availability heuristic work, you know, uh, to our advantage, um, to the advantage of people um, who had been assaulted by making it clear this is actually a super common thing that you didn't think was common. So it can kind of go both ways. Um, but uh, the roots of this uh, heuristic in terms of research, this goes back to Kahneman and Tversky, um, uh, who I've referenced many, many, many times. They're kind of the granddads of of cognitive bias, and they did research going back to the 70s, this particular term, availability heuristic, they coined back in 1973. And one of the things they looked at was sort of like, you know, common exercises like, if I asked you uh, which... Are there more words that begin with the letter T or begin with the letter K in in the English language? And most people would assume T because it's easy to remember words that start with the letter T. And here, the availability heuristic is serving you well, right? Actually, there are more words that start with a T than a K. But where it gets tricky is things that actually require a little more thought. So if I were to take a random word from the English language, right, is it more likely that that word starts with a K Or that a K is the third letter, right? So for any word, you know, is it more likely that K is the first letter or the third, right? And so the availability heuristic tells you it's uh, more likely that it's going to start with a K, right? Because it's easy to think of examples. Kangaroo, kitchen, kale. Um, Trying to think of examples where the third letter is a K is a little bit trickier, you know, but they're there. Acknowledge, ask, arc, right? They're out there. Um, but here's the thing. There are 3 times more words with k in the third position than words that begin with the letter k. Now, this particular example is a little controversial in cognitive bias psychology circles basically. The idea being that maybe it isn't so much what's easier to remember as just how do we process language? Like that's just when we are classifying words, it's, you know, part of our processing is in fact to start with what's the first letter? And so that's why we're kind of favoring the, the K versus the first letter K versus the third letter K. So that one's still a little bit, you know, more research needed, but it kind of helps you understand the concepts, right? That the thing that's easier to recall, right? Think of examples of as the thing that I'm actually going to assume is the correct answer. Um, so how hard it is to remember something really, really matters. And we give more weight, right, to information that's easier to recall than processing all of the relevant information. And this is, again, one of those situations where cognitive bias is basically a fancy term for shortcut, right? It's a mental shortcut. Rather than actually answer the question, let me just think of what's the easiest thing to think of and let that be my answer. Um, And literally, that's what heuristic means, right? It's a quick process to get to something. Um, So, like, if you see uh, a bunch of, uh, if you see, like, one shark fin in the water and one dolphin fin in the water, you're gonna assume there are more sharks (laughs) in the water, even though you've only seen one of each, just because that's the most available thing to think of or the most dangerous thing to think of, right, Is, is that it's gotta be all sharks. Um, people also talk about, in um, judicial situations, in courtrooms, this thing called the CSI effect, where people are expecting, you know, more DNA evidence whenever there's any kind of a, you know, murder trial or a crime, um, because it's really easy easy for them to recall now, oh, right, I'm sure I've seen scenes where scientists are doing stuff in labs, and they're finding DNA, and that's how they figure out who, you know, who done it, right? It's because that's easy to recall, so they assume, oh, well, that must be common, that must be how it works, and it must mean that whatever evidence I'm being presented is, like, super super. accurate. And there's a whole John Oliver bit that you can look up online about how that's kind of problematic sometimes, but, uh, but that's another, you know, example of the availability heuristic. One of the interesting places, um, Kahneman goes with this in his book, um, thinking fast and slow is the idea that when we're asked to judge a probability, right? We don't usually answer the question we're being asked. We usually answer some easier question. Um, so when I was asked about like, you know, the letter K, I wasn't thinking, okay, how many words do I really honestly think start with the letter K versus have it in the third position? The question I really asked myself was, well, okay, how many examples can I think of? That's the question I really ended up answering, which isn't exactly the same question. Where I think this, you know, comes into play um, recently is uh, in the election. Because I remember after the election, people being shocked that Trump won. And I remember leading up to the election, all sorts of people saying how unlikely it was that he would win. And I think what happened was the availability heuristic. People asked, do you think it's likely that Trump could win? And this is going back to the primaries. This is going back to, you know, all the way really up until election day. Um, And the question they answered wasn't, do you think it's likely that Trump will be elected Or, or is Trump electable? Right. The question they answered was, can I remember any instance of someone like Trump getting elected? And the answer, of course, there was no, right? It's completely beyond the pale, the things he was doing, the things he was saying. But that's a different question. If you actually asked, is he electable? You start to ask questions like, okay, well, what would that appeal to? Right? Going back to the, you know, scientific method, can I disprove my theory? Like if this were true, what else would be true? Okay. What who would have to who who would he have to be able to appeal to? Who would those behaviors actually appeal to? And are there enough of those people that, in fact, he might get elected? If we had started asking those kinds of questions, his you know electability would have been un, you know uh, unassailable. Um, but that's not what we asked. We asked, did anyone like him ever win in the past? Did anyone who behaved like him ever win in the past? So that's sort of the danger of the availability heuristic, is that if we ask the wrong question, right, if, or if we don't answer the actual question we're asking, um, we can get into trouble, um, or at the very least be surprised. Uh, so that's sort of another way this plays out. And, um uh, this is going to be an especially long episode because the availability heuristic ties into so many other things. So just two episodes ago, we talked about um, the idea that of uh, the anchoring uh, effect, which is this idea that depending on how I phrase things or how I kind of like initially you know, set the pretext for some kind of decision you have to make, you know, it'll affect other things. And this is, again, related. So the example we used back with the anchoring effect was if I ask you to uh, multiply one times two times three times four times five times six times seven times eight, ask you to guess, you'll come up with one answer. But if I ask another group, what's eight times seven times six times five times four times three times two times one, they will come up with a different answer that's probably a lot higher, and it's that anchor. Well, that anchor, right, is availability heuristic all over again. What's the f- most you know, recent you know, number I can think of? What's the, what's the, the, the number that kind of stood out to me? It was the number at the beginning of the sequence. It was a high number or it was a low number. And if it was a high number, I'm going to guess high. If it was a low number, I'm going to guess low. But that availability heuristic comes into play. It's that easy recall. Um, my favorite example, though, And the most counterintuitive one of the availability heuristic and how it really plays out is an experiment where you ask someone to think of six examples of how assertive they are, of examples of their of times in their life that they've been assertive. You ask a different group of people, right, to think of 12 examples of times in their life that they've been assertive. And then you ask each group, you know, one by one, individuals, how assertive do you think you are? The people who only came up with 6 examples think they're more assertive than the ones who came up with 12 examples, and here's why. The people who came up with 6 examples didn't have to do as much work. It was relatively easy for them to think of 6 times they were assertive. As a result, they thought, huh, that was easy, I must be pretty assertive if it was that easy to come up with examples. The people who had to come up with 12 examples had to work hard. By the time they got to that 12th example, they were scraping the bottom of the barrel. After that experience, when asked how assertive they were, they thought, huh, it was really hard for me to think of examples of times I've been assertive. I must not be very assertive. So that to me is at the heart of the available heuristic. It isn't so much, you know, are there a lot of examples or are there a few examples which might be more logical? It's how Difficult was it for me to think of the thing. If it was difficult, well, that just might, must not be true. If it was easy, that must be true. If it was difficult, it must not be common. If it was easy, it must be common, which makes its own kind of sense but just isn't actually true. <laughs> so, um, and you can see all sorts of examples of that where it's like if I make you have to think of lots of examples of something, you're going to judge it more, um, you judge it differently. So another one is course evaluations, right? So uh, students were asked for a particular course, all right, I want you to think of you know, two suggestions for how this course might be better versus I want you to think of 10 suggestions for how this course could be better, right? And you can guess how this turned out now that you know the heuristic, right? The people who had to think of two suggestions for how this course could be better judged the course more harshly. Oh, well, if it's that easy for me to think of ways for the course to be better, it must not be very good. The ones who had to think of 10 suggestions, by the time they got to that 10th suggestion, were again, scraping the bottom of the barrel. They are thinking, man, it's really hard for me to think of examples of how this course could be better. It must be pretty good already, So that to me, like if you take nothing else away from this, that is really at the heart of the availability heuristic. And again, you can sort of find ways to try to, you know, manipulate that to get people to think more highly of themselves or less highly of themselves or to, you know, change the way that they view a particular situation. Uh, so anyway, I've kind of gone on long enough with this one. This is one of those, you can go down a big, big old rabbit hole of different examples and different ways this plays out in society. I've just given you a few. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about this on our Facebook page. You can reach us at, um, facebook.com slash, cognitive bias podcast. Um, until next week, I'm your host, David Dylan Thomas, and this has been the cognitive bias podcast. We'll see you next time.